Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, Real Estate Edition with Howard and Rob. We talk about real estate, industry trends, emerging issues, and lots of news. We are where real estate happens. I'm Howard Altshuler, partner in charge of real estate services at Weaver. And as always, I'm joined by Rob Nowak, a Weaver tax partner focusing in real estate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of myself and Rob and are not necessarily those of Weaver. Content is provided for general information and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, attorney, or other professional. So Rob, we're getting close to the election. As always, a lot of what happens in election results depends on how people feel about how it's going to impact their pocketbooks. One of the biggest factors that goes into how financially secure people feel deals with taxes and how much taxes they will have to pay or how much they think they have to pay. I've been reading there's a lot of information with respect to um, the various tax plans being floated by the current Trump administration and a potential future Biden administration. Wanted to get your thoughts, uh, at least on a high level and how it focuses on real estate, some of the big changes potentially or differences between the two tax plans. Real estate is the economic engine that drives America. We all know that. Our industry has the most to gain and lose from tax reform. The two tax plans being floated by Biden and Trump are as different as the candidates themselves. But I want to point out that while both political parties and their respective candidates have their thoughts on tax policy, the reality is that tax legislation is born in the House Ways and Means Committee of the U.S. House of Representatives. And legislation must further meet with a favorable vote in both the House and the Senate. While whomever occupies the Oval Office certainly has a tax agenda, that agenda is sometimes at odds with Congress, even as we found out in 2017, when Congress is controlled by the president's very party. The policies put forth by the candidates today make for salacious palace intrigue, but one would expect any enacted legislation to take on a more balanced tone. That being said, we know where a Trump administration lands on tax issues as it impacts real estate because we've already seen how the Tax Act of 2017 and the CARES Act of 2020 favored real estate businesses. When the 2017 Act was passed, deferred exchanges were modified, but tax-free exchanges of real estate were protected. Very important. Also in 2017, the 20% pass-due deduction was extended to include real estate activities. Between the 2017 Act and the 2020 CARES Act, Qualified Improvement Property was granted a 15-year life, making it eligible for bonus depreciation. And on the subject of bonus depreciation, um, that was expanded to be 100% expensing, in now including qualified improvement property, and that 100% extends through the end of 2022. The 100% rate begins to sunset until it phases out at the end of 2026. And while the 2017 Act provides a limitation for the deduction on business interest expense, the Act provided a mechanism for real estate businesses to elect out of the limitation, so a ton in there for real estate. 
Now, where does Joe Biden stand on each of these issues? Well, according to a Bloomberg abstract of each of the candidates' plans and an analysis of publicly available material from both campaigns, uh, Biden's plan would eliminate bonus depreciation for real estate assets. And th those are rules, again, that were recently clarified as part of the CARES Act. Um, but I almost think that might be Armageddon for some deals where after-tax cash flows and after-tax impacts, including the impact of bonus depreciation, has already been factored into after-tax cash flow return models. Biden would repeal the 20% pass-through deduction in its current form and accept real estate from qualifying for the deduction. He would further eliminate the 20% deduction for those with incomes over $400,000. Biden would eliminate deferred exchanges entirely, including those as, as they apply to real estate, and enact legislation preventing investors from using real estate losses to lower their income tax bills. Now that sort of, to me, sounds similar to the existing passive loss and at-risk rule regime under 465 and 469. They're already in place, so not really certain um, what he alludes to there. The Biden campaign probably has some homework to do to understand not only how will some of these proposals fit in from a budget perspective, but also to understand how will they further mesh with existing mechanics within the code. Well, Rob, let's also not forget about the other big code change uh, having to do with opportunity zone creation. Yeah, an investor who has realized a capital gain by selling an asset like stocks or real estate can receive special tax deferral benefits if they reinvest that gain into a qualified opportunity zone fund within 180 days of the sale. Opzone funds are those that hold real estate or interests in businesses located in underserved or economically disadvantaged areas. This body of law was ushered in with the 2017 Tax Act. The goal was to incentivize investors to participate in these types of investments that are intended to reinvigorate those underserved areas while providing an economic incentive to the investor. Many of the Opzone benefits sunset at the end of 2026. Trump would seek to extend the op zone benefits permanently. Biden's plan calls for more transparency and monitoring around the program and disclosure of investments in their participants. He also calls for op zone funds to partner with community and nonprofit organizations to produce a community benefit plan for each investment with a focus on job creation and the direct financial impact for those living in the identified opportunity zone. Biden further would expand the new market tax credit program, making it permanent with an annual funding of $5 billion a year. Let's talk about maybe some of the, the differences between the two. Well, like I said earlier, their plans are as different as the candidates themselves, but I think they're especially worlds apart on tax rates. Biden seeks to increase the highest marginal tax rate to 39.6%. That's the highest ordinary marginal tax rate, while Trump would leave the current top rate unchanged at around 37%. And understand those are graduated rates, so there are multiple brackets between zero and the top rate. Trump favors keeping the current 20% pass-through deduction in place in its current form, and Biden obviously wants a significant overhaul there, whereby he would eliminate that benefit for those with incomes over $400,000. Trump wants capital gain rates maintained or perhaps even cut and also talks about indexing multiple capital gain rates for inflation. Biden plans to eliminate preferential capital gain rates for those with incomes over a million dollars. We all know Trump wants to repeal Obamacare, and that would include all the Obamacare taxes, the payroll tax, and the net investment income tax that go along with it. 
um, presumably since his previous administration that he served under Barack Obama created Obamacare and the net investment income tax, as well as the additional payroll tax, Biden doesn't have any plans to repeal either of those taxes. Now, we know that there is going to be a case that's going to be heard in the Supreme Court sometime in the near future, which may significantly impact whether or not the net investment income tax is held to be constitutional or not. And I'm sure we'll be including that in an upcoming podcast at some point. Okay. So the pass-through or the 199A deduction is something that would hit individual voters personally in their pocketbooks. Um, If we were to think about some other factors related or some other tax provisions relating to real estate that impact individuals, such as mortgage interest deduction, uh, such as property tax deduction or limitations on that as currently written. Well, let me stop you right there. Here's another area where the two candidates diverge. Until 2025, there is no overall limitation on itemized deductions. There are still limitations around investment interest expense, charitables, and the deduction for state income tax, which is currently capped at $10,000. Biden would throw off the cap for state taxes. Now, that's good news if you live in California, New York, Massachusetts, Illinois, states with traditionally high real estate tax, as well as state income tax rates. But Biden would seek to cap itemized deductions at 28% and immediately reinstitute the P's limitation for higher income earners. That's the limitation on itemized deduction, which can further erode the benefit of deductions. And let's understand the deductions we're talking about. Medical expenses, charitable contributions, mortgage interest, real estate taxes, state taxes. At least three of those things we don't have a choice to pay as Americans and homeowners. And of course, I'm speaking of our medical state income taxes, and real estate taxes. Okay. What about mortgage interest deduction for homeowners and capital gains, which also have to do with real estate too? The Biden plan does not per se reduce the mortgage interest deduction. However, when you place a 28% cap on itemized deductions or reinstitute prematurely the P's limitation, there is a limitation inherently on the mortgage interest deduction, which in my opinion creates a roadblock on the path to home ownership. And I can't say it much more plainly than that. Biden would point out though that his plan provides for an advanceable $15,000 first-time homebuyer credit that would be given to first-time homebuyers at the time of purchase. It would not be taken as a credit on their return. They would get it at closing at the time of purchase. Now to me, that sounds more like a grant than a tax credit. And I have to imagine that the regulation around that would be an undertaking. It's probably something that is going to fall more under the purview of HUD than it's going to fall under the IRS. Biden also supports a renter's tax credit. And to me, that sounds, again, like more of a grant than a credit, more of a HUD issue. Relative to your question about capital gains, I'll reflect to what I said earlier. Biden would modify capital gain rates for higher income earners, whereas Trump supports cutting cap gain rates and creating more of a graduated system with brackets indexed for inflation. And another question here that's coming to my mind, at least, and I know it's not real estate related, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners are interested in this. Um, with either administration, uh, potentially, are there are my retirement accounts, my IRAs, my Roth IRAs, my savings plans, um, are they still safe from any changes with respect to um, taxes? I'm glad you said with respect to taxes, because if you have questions about what's going to happen to your 401k balances, I've got nothing for you there. Uh, Biden clearly wants to get more of the workforce into retirement savings plans, though. He calls for an expansion of 401k plans to allow more workers to participate automatically. 
So things like automatic participation are on the table. He also wants to open the door for more hardship withdrawals and gives more credits to small businesses that offer plants. This is all good stuff. Biden and Trump both support expanding catch-up provisions, allowing those closer to retirement age to defer more into their retirement plans. The logic being when you're younger, you're focused on other financial aspects of your life. You may not be as able to save for retirement. The closer you get to retirement, your income increases and you have more excess cash to defer. Okay. Yeah, I like the catch-up provisions as one of our more um, senior people at the firm. Um, I am in that bracket where I can start making those catch-up provisions, and that's definitely helping with the retirement savings. Um, and, and I have to agree, at least my perspective, on making 401ks and other plans more accessible Um you know, taking the approach of you don't miss what you don't ever see. And yeah. so push it out as a, you know, you're automatically enrolled unless you opt out. Mm-hmm. Um, much easier for people to start making those contributions, not necessarily miss that money because it's like they've almost never seen it. Um, I would think from a psychology standpoint, again, people would, more people would be willing to do that. And that's only going to be good in the long run. You know, one thing you didn't ask about that, uh, I think is also important to point out on tax rates, and maybe you were going to cover this, is is how are corporate rates potentially going to change? That was my next question. Thanks. Okay. I stole your thunder. (laughs) An important point of differentiation between the change in corporate rates in 2017 versus many of the other changes in the same year is that when the corporate income tax rate was decreased to 21% from 34%, that is a permanent rate adjustment. Unlike the 20% deduction, we talked about the P's limitation temporarily being repealed and other measures, the corporate income tax rate reduction is a permanent reduction pending additional legislative action. Now, Biden would call for such legislative action in that he would like to see the corporate tax rate increased to 28% with a 15% minimum book tax. And the book tax would be on companies with current year income of more than $100 million that are paying no federal income tax, either because they've utilized prior year losses or have taken advantage of credits. But that that does provide an interesting situation because I know having spent some time working overseas, you know, there's a lot of countries out there that have tax rates in the teens, if not lower. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you kind of couple that with the fact of do we want to keep companies here in the United States um, by raising the corporate tax rates, that does bring at risk companies. um, I don't know what the right word would be, but we'll just say relocating to other countries Mm -hmm. where they have potentially um, lower corporate tax rates. One of the reasons that the Trump administration had pushed for a lower corporate tax rate, and this had been debated for a number of years in other administrations, is trying to offset the effect of companies relocating offshore take advantage of lower tax rates in other countries in order to reduce uh, what would otherwise be their worldwide tax burden. One more thing, thinking about international, and I know real estate is a local business, um, but there are a number of listeners out there who are working for companies that have international operations. Uh, How do potential changes going forward impact um, operational factors such as repatriating capital or tax treaties, things like that? I'm going to tell you what I tell my clients when they ask me about international tax issues, and that is I'm going to walk to the office next door, talk to my partner, Vince Hawk, who runs our international tax group. (laughs) Well, Rob, this has all been very interesting. Um, I know we could talk for 
hours and hours about taxes, especially you could talk could. for hours and hours I about could taxes. I could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> but we're out of time. So um, I want to thank you for um, talking with me about this and hopefully our listeners found some good information. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Weaver Beyond the Numbers Real Estate Edition. We'll be back next week with more episodes. Please like, share, and subscribe to all of our podcasts to stay up to date on industry trends. Until next time, connect with Howard and Rob on LinkedIn at Howard Altshuler and at Rob Nowak. We look forward to connecting with you online.